Jackson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. A lot of good stuff to talk about today. Brewers take three or four from the Cubs over the weekend. I don't care if it's a 60-game season, 600-game season. I do not care. Beating the Cubs is always fun. Playing the Cubs is always fun. Those two teams bring the best out of each other. Talking about that, NBA playoffs got underway today. I want to talk about that coming up at 5.30. Bucks don't play until tomorrow. They have the early game, the noon game, which I actually, unpopular take, I don't mind. I don't mind them playing at noon. I watched the Nuggets and the Jazz play at noon today. It was one of one of the best NBA games I've watched in a while. You know what? Didn't even care that it was being played at lunchtime. Didn't bother me. So I'm excited. That's tomorrow. We'll talk Bucks and NBA coming up in about a half hour. The one big story we haven't hit yet today is Kenny Clark signing his extension with the Green Bay Packers. Let's do that now. I, I can't believe we made it an hour and four minutes before talking about Kenny Clark. One of the best Packers, and I've been talking about this, what, for weeks and weeks Especially when sports are shut down because like we had nothing to talk about. And I'm like, well, we'll just we'll talk about the Packers' upcoming free agents and we'll just discuss and debate which ones we think should be re-signed. And I said, hey, before anything else, Kenny Clark is number one. He's in a tier of his own. This is great news. I think it broke on Saturday morning. Saturday morning, I, I bet we're all seeing it on our phones when we woke up. So that's the big news of the weekend. Let's talk about that. Of course, you can always join the show on the Five Star Telecom Talking Text Line, 608 608- Seven nine six two five five eight. A call, text doesn't matter. I'd love to have a conversation uh, about the Packers or about NBA basketball coming up here in about twenty five minutes. The Kenny Clark extension is four years, seventy million dollars. That means he's in Green Bay through the end of twenty twenty four. So a couple of years tagged on to what would have been the end of his rookie deal. He also got a twenty twenty five million dollars signing bonus. Excuse me, and thirty seven million dollars stacked up in his first two years between guarantees. So he's going to make a lot of the money on the front end, as NFL teams typically like to do. They like to give a lot of money up front, so then they have flexibility in the last couple of years of that contract if they want to you know, potentially cut or trade or, or restructure or do whatever. And it works for Kenny Clark because Kenny Clark has been playing on a rookie deal the last two years despite being you know, one of the best defensive linemen in the league. So he's been underpaid based on production and based on his kind of stature in the league the last couple of years. So it works out, right? Both teams get what they want. Kenny Clark gets money now to make up for the last couple of years, and the Packers pay a lot of money up front so they don't have to deal with it in two or three years if they don't want to. It makes sense. This is perfect. I was almost getting frustrated that this extension hadn't happened yet. And if you read the story, Rob Domofsky wrote it at ESPN.com. They actually called him on Saturday morning, and they're like, hey, let's get this done. We want to get this deal done before the first practice starts. Although training camp had begun, they hadn't gotten on the practice field until Saturday uh, early in the morning. The call actually woke Kenny Clark up. They called him, and they're like, hey, Kenny, we want to get this done right now. And Kenny Clark was absolutely, let's do it. And the story's pretty cool. He cried when they were signing the contract, and then they announced it at practice. It was really cool. It was really cool. That's not what I want to dwell on. But those details were were interesting as well. It's funny that the Packers were able to go a couple of months without getting this done, but they they couldn't possibly fathom starting the first practice without Kenny Clark playing under a new deal. Isn't that isn't that odd the way that NFL teams go about their business? It's like, well, all summer we're not going to do it, but hey, we got to get it done before the first practice because that's some magical arbitrary deadline. I get the Packers not wanting him to hit unrestricted free agency, but that wasn't going to happen until next spring anyways. But you don't also want to be hammering out a contract once the season gets underway. So I understand the timing of it. 
they they got the buzzer beater in right before the first practice started on Saturday. As I'm sure you know, and as we've talked about at length, the Packers have many unrestricted free agents coming up this offseason. In the offseason of 2021, between Kenny Clark, who's now extended, they also have David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, Kevin King, and Corey Lindsley. It's been a real popular thing for Packers fans the last couple of months to pick and choose and debate and to argue which free agents the Packers should bring back, which ones they should let go, right? It's an easy debate and an easy conversation to have. Depends on the positions you value and the players you like most, right? However, this free agency debate can only start after Kenny Clark was extended. He was on his own level. I can see the yes or no argument for Bakhtiari Jones, Williams, King, Lindsley. I I can see it both ways. Now, I, I can't see the Packers bringing everybody back, and I can't see them letting everybody go. So assuming that it's some middle ground, let's say they keep three, let three go. I, you can make the case for just about any combination of players leaving or coming in. The, the one conversation I would not hear and, and would not entertain is Kenny Clark leaving in free agency. You don't draft a player in the first round and then let him go when he becomes the player you hoped he becomes, right? Like they drafted Kenny Clark hoping that he would become one of the best interior linemen in the NFL. Kenny Clark has now become one of the best interior linemen in the NFL. It would make no sense to let him go in free agency. You resign him. That's what you do. That's why letting Micah Hyde go after 2016 never really sat well with me. I never really understood that. It's like, well, you you drafted him to to be a great slot corner, to be one of the best coverage corners in the NFL. He became that. Why don't you resign him? That's how the draft works. That's how drafting and developing works. They drafted, developed, and now extended Kenny Clark. All is right with the world. We can talk about the rest of the upcoming. Uh, free agency class. We can now talk about, you know, David Bakhtiari versus Aaron Jones or Corey Lindsley versus Kevin King. Yep, let's do it. It's all fair game now that Kenny Clark is extended and that's off the table. Kenny Clark has been really productive the last couple of years. I mean, I, I just don't want to hit you over the head with statistics that I cherry pick from some article, but to put it into perspective, the last three seasons, he has 16 and a half sacks, 23 tackles for a loss. He's hit the quarterback 22 times and he has 172 combined tackles, three seasons. He's been really productive, but Kenny Clark's value is much more than production. It's much more than the numbers that show up on, you know, footballreference.com or nfl.com or wherever you do your research. And no, his value is not limited to simply eating up double teams either. That was Mike Daniels, right? That was Latroy Guyon. Kenny Clark is next level. There's a bunch of reasons why Kenny Clark is valuable and elite that go past sack numbers, you know, tackle for loss numbers. Very few teams in the NFL have the luxury of building around an elite interior lineman. Those who do have that luxury are very lucky and shouldn't take it lightly. The Chiefs didn't take it lightly. They re-signed Chris Jones, right? The Eagles didn't take it lightly when they won their Super Bowl. They had Fletcher Cox manning the trenches and, and, and spearheading that defense. The Packers now join this group of NFL teams. You can throw the Rams with Aaron Donald in there. They, they, they join this group of teams that build their defense around an interior lineman a defensive lineman, not an edge rusher, not a lockdown corner, but an interior defensive lineman. There's a lot of reasons why building around a defense around an interior lineman is a good idea if you can do it. There's not enough elite defensive linemen for every team to have one, maybe in the sense of an edge rusher or a corner. I know those players are limited too, but not as limited as an elite nose tackle, for example. Here's some here's some examples. And a couple months ago, I had coach Andrew McGlenn from UWL, who's one of my favorite guests, who... Coaches offensive line and does recruiting. He's familiar with, you know, how things go in the trenches. And we came up with all these reasons on why having a player like Kenny 
Kenny Clark is so valuable. So I want to I want to go through these a couple uh, a couple again. Number one, defensive linemen cost fifteen to twenty percent less typically than edge rushers. I first learned this nugget from a podcast with Andy Benoit at Sports Illustrated a couple of months ago. Now, excluding Aaron Donald because he's the outlier in this instance, defensive linemen cost fifteen to twenty percent less than say a high priced edge rusher. For example. Kenny Clark is the highest paid currently nose tackle in NFL history. This deal made him the richest nose tackle in NFL history. But he's still only the 12th highest paid defensive player in the NFL. Think about that. He's the best at his position. He's the best ever at his position. And yet there are 11 other defensive players in the NFL that are getting paid more than him. Think about that. Defensive linemen, interior linemen, don't command as much money. It's not as glamorous of a position. And therefore, teams can get Great value. The Packers got great value out of this deal. And we'll be saying that two, three years down the road, all the way through the end of his contract in 2024. That's reason number one. Reason number two, defensive tackles typically, typically rush against centers and guards who are once again, typically, not always, but most of the time, less athletic than tackles. For example, rushing against Billy Turner is probably an easier endeavor than rushing against David Bakhtiari, who's longer, faster, quicker, Moves easier in space. You'd rather rush against a center. Ask Kenny Clark, who's been rushing against Garrett Bradbury against the Vikings. I mean, just just eating his lunch. Eating Garrett Bradbury's lunch. Garrett Bradbury's not as athletic as David Bakhtiari or Tyron Smith or, I mean, fill in. I, I, I didn't do my research on left tackles today. I'm sorry. Fill in the blank. You'd rather go against a center or guard because typically they're less athletic. And you can feed that way. You can be more successful that way because you're going against an easier opponent. Over the commercial break, I'll pull up a long list of left tackles and we can go through we can go through them all. I don't want to spend time on it right now. That's reason number two. Reason number three. Protections can be slid side to side. You can add a tight end, a Mercedes Lewis type player, to help out against Khalil Mack. Or you can line up Jamal Williams, for example, offset eye to the right to assist with Khalil Mack if indeed he's rushing off the right side. It's a little bit more difficult to adjust your protection against an interior player because typically right now in the NFL, offenses are blocking in a center versus a nose tackle, a guard versus a guy, tackle versus a guy. It's 1v1v1 down the line. It's 1v1. And it's more difficult to add in an extra blocker in the middle unless you're running play action and a play fake, but sometimes that play fake disrupts things and the running back completely misses out on the blocking assignment for the sake of carrying out the play fake, right? It's more difficult to bring extra protection in the interior. Another reason an interior lineman like Kenny Clark is really, really valuable. Reason number four. Defensive tackles have a shorter, more direct path to the quarterback. Think about this. Edge rushers are called edge rushers because they must come around the edge. Would you rather go around the corner or, if at all possible, go right up the gut? You'd rather go right up the gut. It's less of a distance. It's a more direct path. It's a more efficient path. Kenny Clark has a shorter path to the quarterback than Zadarius Smith coming around the edge. That is to Kenny Clark's example, if he's good enough, which he is, to exploit that weakness and exploit that advantage. And he is, and he will. That's reason number four. And then my final reason, number five, collapsing and disrupting the pocket is in a lot of instances just as important as getting a sack. The Packers, for example, uh, this year are going to play a lot of non-mobile quarterbacks. Guys who don't really like to escape the pocket, don't like to run around. Let's look down the schedule. Let me let me make this point. Week one, they play the Minnesota Vikings and Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins, not exactly mobile. If you get in his lap and get in the pocket, you've done half the battle. 
perfect. Week one, great matchup. And the Vikings interior line is not exactly up to snuff for blocking Kenny Clark. Week three, they play the Saints. Drew Brees is old and not mobile and not athletic. And I know we all have this delusion about Drew Brees that he's still an MVP caliber candidate. He's not. He's a statue. Kenny Clark will feast in that game. Week four, much of the same against the Atlanta Falcons. Matt Ryan is not mobile. He's not fast. Kenny Clark gets in his lap. The play's busted, right? Now you have cornerbacks who can go for interceptions. You're looking for a tip. You're looking for a sack, a strip. Matt Ryan, another example. Then they go on by in week five. And interestingly enough, week six, Tom Brady, who will fall over before he escapes the pocket. Another great example. You just get in his lap, play's broken up. Of course, they play Kirk Cousins again. Jimmy G, who's not, you know, isn't exactly super athletic. He's not Tom Brady, but he's not looking to run. Phillip Rivers in week 11, a statue, an old man. Just get in his lap. That's all you need to do. Week 12, if they're starting Nick Foles against, you know, the Packers, the Bears are, that's another quarterback that's not very mobile. And look all the way down the line. Teddy Bridgewater in week 15, he's not a mobile quarterback. He's athletic, but he's not going to be looking to run. Kenny Clark will feast in those games against old or standstill quarterbacks. Don't even have to get a sack. Just get in the pocket, blow up the play. Because Tom Brady ain't escaping. He's not running out to the flat. He wasn't doing that four or five years ago. He's certainly not doing it now. Kenny Clark will give the Packers a huge, huge advantage. Much like the Rams have or the Eagles had with Fletcher Koch. Not sure they have it anymore. Uh, Grady Jarrett in the case of the Falcons. There's very few elite interior defensive linemen that can blow up plays. Kenny Clark is one of them. And it's much to the Packers advantage to lock him up long term. They did that this weekend. Good news. Coming up next, I want to keep talking about the Packers. I want to clear a couple things up. Because I'm confused, and you might be able to help me in this conversation coming up next. I, I, I'm sensing a lot of aggression and a lot of frustration with Matt LaFleur and with Brian Gutekinds. Now, I tried to hash this out. I tried to understand this. But maybe if you could let me know, shoot me a text, 608-796-2558. I heard a lot of people were upset with LaFleur, want him fired, want him out of town, think he's doing a bad job. And I don't, I don't get it. I don't love everything that Matt LaFleur and Gutekinds have done. But by and large, I think they have served the purpose that they were hired to serve. I'll explain that coming up next and maybe try to understand the mindset of the other side of this equation. That's coming up next. The Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show rolls on. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. I'm trying to watch a little bit of these NBA games over the commercial break, too. Problem is, is then I get sucked into watching the game, and then I hear the music start, and I'm like, "All right, what are we, t- what are we talking about again?" The games today have been great. The Nuggets beat the Jazz today in overtime by ten. Donovan Mitchell at 57, 57 in a playoff game, the first playoff game at noon, just for no reason, really, just had to go off for 57 for no reason because they ended up losing. Right now, Toronto's up on the Nets by 14. It's five minutes left in the fourth quarter. I actually really like the Nets. I think they're a plucky team, and we're going to talk more NBA coming up, but the Raptors are a terrible matchup for the Nets. Like they are for a lot of teams, but this Nets team, there's a very specific reason why Toronto's a bad matchup, and I'll tell you that coming up in about 20 minutes in case you're interested in doing any betting uh, and you feel like trusting me to to guide you with your hard-earned money. Uh, I'll give you my two cents about some of these playoff series and what we got going on in the NBA playoffs coming up here in a few minutes. First, I want to kind of put the cap. I want to kind of put the seal on our Packers talk, on our Packers conversation. They re-signed Kenny Clark. That's tremendous news. 
Me and my roommates were doing fist bumps on, on Saturday morning. That was some of the best news of 2020, which doesn't like that's not exactly a hard standard to meet. 2020 hasn't exactly been the year of good news. But Kenny Clark extending four years, even if it was for 70 million dollars, that's 70 million dollars well spent. Before we move on to the NBA talk and the Bucks talk, I, I want to clear a few things up. I did not wake up this morning planning to talk about Lafleur, Rogers, Jordan Love, and Gudikins, the whole drama. It's not even a drama triangle. I don't, it would be a drama circle at this point between the front office and the quarterbacks. I didn't want to talk about it. But I feel the need to. I feel the need to. Because every morning, I kind of surf radio shows around Wisconsin, right? Of course, I always start my morning with Dave Carney and the WKTY Morning Show, see what Dave's talking about, and then I might listen to a show in Green Bay or in Madison or in Eau Claire or in Milwaukee. Not because I don't like Dave, but because I want to see what different takes are being thrown around, what different perspectives are are being talked about in, in different cities and by different stations and hosts. I like getting a full picture because sometimes Dave attacks something from one side and I want to hear the other side of the issue, right? I want to hear a different perspective. This morning, I landed on a Milwaukee station. It was our friend Bart Winkler's show. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. He wants Matt LaFleur to be fired. He can't stand Matt LaFleur. He's been echoing this take for a couple of weeks, and it started on my show in early August. And I will share for you the Bart Winkler take that he shared, I don't know, early August, the first couple of days of August. This is, once again, what he was echoing on his show this morning. You know, I try to be one with all my fellow Eagles out there, alumni and current, but I don't I don't think I like uh, the path that Gudikins is going to. I... I listened to these guys talk this weekend, just the whole thing with Rodgers and Love and how long is he going to stay, and I've already been calling for Matt LaFleur to be fired on my show, so, you know, the, this Packer thing, it's, you know, it's a confusing year, and so I have confusing thoughts about a lot of the, my confusing team. Look, it is a confusing year, and this has definitely been an interesting year, especially for the Packers, pandemic aside, but calling for LaFleur to be fired, are we, are we really doing this? So this was the quote that got a lot of people upset because Matt LaFleur is talking about Aaron Rodgers. One side of his mouth, he's saying, we love Aaron Rodgers, he's going to play here forever. And then the other side of his mouth, he's saying, but we like Jordan Love and we want him to play too. Well, I think right now, most importantly, Aaron's our quarterback and I see him here for a really long time. And however long that is, I don't think anybody knows. Nothing's guaranteed in this league. But I feel so lucky to be able to work with him on a daily basis and – you know, I don't see that changing for a really long time. Matt LaFleur, first of all, beautiful job here crafting his answer so this thing can't be thrown back in his face. You know, well, a long time, which is a nondescript period of time, right? Long time could mean a couple months, could mean a couple years. And then also saying, but nothing's guaranteed. You never know in the NFL, right? Really protecting himself. People are upset at Matt LaFleur because they're throwing Aaron Rodgers to the curb and they're moving on. Look, I love Aaron Rodgers. He's my favorite football player I've ever watched. You're, you're, Patrick Mahomes is going to have to do some amazing things to convince me that he, at his peak, is a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers at his peak. Aaron Rodgers is unlike anything I've ever watched on TV. And I wish I would have appreciated him more at the time in 2013, 2014, 2015. The injuries made it tough, and the team wasn't always the greatest. But Aaron Rodgers is my favorite football player ever. I don't want him to leave. I want him to retire as a Packer. But Matt LaFleur kind of speaks to the, the tough nature of the NFL. Nothing being guaranteed, right? NFL stands for not for long. That's what everybody says. I hate using cliches like that, but it works here, so I'll use it. The NFL stands not for long. Let's go back a few years, because I'm trying to understand this, this opinion that Matt LaFleur is doing a bad job and that he should be let go, and Brian Gutekunst, <clears throat> UWL Eagle uh, and UW Lacrosse alum, is doing a bad job. Let me try to figure this out. Let's, let's hash through this. Let's go back a couple of years. Ted Thompson is the GM. 
Mike McCarthy is the coach. Let's try to put our minds back in that moment, in that time period. We wanted Ted Thompson gone, rightfully so, because he overthought draft picks. He was old. I don't know if he was really fit to do his job anymore, but aside from that, he overthought his draft picks, and he went to sleep during free agency completely. Right? He overthought draft picks, meaning let's take a safety in the first round and have him play corner. Let's draft a basketball player and have him play corner. Let's draft, you know a stand-up defensive end and try to move him inside to D-line. Like, he was trying to move guys around. Once again, the cliche is, you know, square peg, round hole. I'm not going to... I'm trying to avoid cliches today. I guess that is the theme. We didn't like Ted Thompson. The reasons were well-stated, and I think I think founded in truth. I think those were reasonable. We wanted Mike McCarthy gone because the offense was stale, and we thought the team needed a new voice. Am I remembering everything correctly? Before we move on, did anything I just say, is any of that wrong? We wanted Ted Thompson... Because he overthought picks. We wanted him out because he overthought picks. And he didn't participate in free agency. We wanted McCarthy gone because the offense was stale and they needed a new voice. True? True? Can we all agree on that? Okay. So, Ted Thompson is let go and Brian Gudikins comes in. He came in and drafted deliberately with his high picks right off the bat. The Packers had, what, a 15th overall, a 12th overall. They had some high picks. He drafted a true cornerback to be a cornerback, Jair Alexander. Drafted a true defensive end in Rashawn Gary, who seems flexible. They might move him around a little bit too, but that, they're not changing positions. They also drafted a safety in Darnell Savage to be a safety. Deliberate, deliberate drafting, which goes against what Ted Thompson was doing at the end. Now, I give Ted Thompson the benefit of the doubt because Thompson was often picking between 25 and 32. So you need to be a little bit more creative. But Brian Gutekinst, at least so far, has come in and been very deliberate about the players and the positions that he selects. He also brought in Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith to stabilize the pass rush and Adrian Amos to stabilize the defensive backfield through free agency. Check, 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 right? We wanted Ted Thompson to draft more deliberately. Gutekinst has done that. We wanted Thompson to participate in free agency. Gutekinst has done that. You might not like that he drafted Jordan Love. But, like, we can't fire an executive every year. Has Brian Gutekinds not come in and done exactly what we wanted Ted Thompson to do? Am I not reading this right? I think Brian Gutekinds has been everything we looked for. Now, you might not like his Jordan Love pick, but what, are we going to fire GMs over one draft pick? Now, if it's the number one overall pick, right? And you, t- I don't know, you take, let's say, an NBA example, you take Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. Okay, we're going to have an issue, and Vlade is no longer the GM of the Sacramento Kings. But in the NFL, you're picking in the 30s. It's a crapshoot, you know? Take a quarterback you believe in, and we'll see how it plays out. No problem with that. It's not the easiest transition that they're going to try to make, but I respect him for having the stones to do it. Brian Gutekinst has come in and done everything we wanted Ted Thompson to do. All right, what about Matt LaFleur? They fire Mike McCarthy and bring in Matt LaFleur to provide a new voice. Team certainly feels younger. It seems re-energized. The team has a new energy. So... It got stale under McCarthy. Doesn't feel stale anymore. Check that box. And his offense isn't stale. He's implementing new things. He's emphasizing different positions and different players and different schemes. Very different than McCarthy in that regard. So, like, hasn't Matt LaFleur checked every box too? And they went 13-3. and It's not like he came in and did all these things and they lost games. They went to the NFC Championship. So I, I'm, I'm really struggling. Really struggling to sympathize or empathize or agree with anybody that thinks Matt LaFleur or Brian Gutekinds should be fired. You don't like the way they're handling the quarterback situation? Okay, sure. We'll see how it plays out. If Jordan Love sucks and Aaron Rodgers goes on to, 
you know, play in Dallas or Chicago or wherever and go to a couple Super Bowls, okay, yeah, then at that point we can look back and say, yeah, they probably messed up. But as of right now, haven't both Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur done everything that we have wanted them to do so far? Haven't they solved all the problems that were created by Ted Thompson and Mike McCarthy? Look, I, I get the frustration. We don't want to see our favorite player shoved out the door. But man, fire LaFleur? Fire Gutekunst? Now, you... Brian Gutekinds, he's not going anywhere, right? His education, his upbringing through through the UW system and through UW lacrosse, right? He's he's better qualified than anybody in the NFL to run, to, to run a team. I just don't get it. I don't get it. I think both of these these men have come in and and done exactly what we wanted, and they went thirteen and three. They almost they almost went to the Super Bowl last year. I don't get it. Fans are just restless. I think that's it. We can't make up our mind. We're fanatics, and I understand that. But just think a little bit when you say, "I want Matt Lafleur fired." Think about it a little bit. Think about what you're saying. I like to come across as dumb, crazy fans. Every once in a while, it's cool, but maybe not right now. I want to talk about the NBA and be a dumb fan about the NBA. We'll talk about the Bucks, their chances, look at the playoff picture a little bit, and I have some hot takes. I have some hot takes to share with you about the NBA playoffs coming up next. You may not agree with them, but I want you to at least understand where I'm coming from. I want you to at least hear me out. That's coming up next. A couple hot takes as it pertains to the NBA playoffs. Coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show rolls on. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. I'm having a blast. So much fun stuff to talk about today between the Brewers and the Packers. The NBA playoffs are underway. Just think of, before we keep going, by the way, go ahead and pat yourself on the back. We made it how many months without sports, and we got basketball on all day. Brewers playing well. The NFL's in training camp. Seems to be going well so far, knock on wood. Hopefully they can keep that going. It's a good day. It's a good day. And this is one of the few Mondays in the last few months that haven't crushed us with bad news about some outbreak or about some cancellation. I still remember when Oktoberfest was canceled. I'll never forget where I was. No bad news today. So I'm having a great day. I hope you are as well. I'm trying to watch a little bit of these NBA playoff games and commercial breaks and and take in as much as I can. The Raptors are running away from the Nets right now. Before we dig into matchups and we talk about different series and we talk about the Bucs, I have two hot takes. Hot takes. I want to get your thoughts on these takes. Be patient. Hear me out. If you disagree, that's fine, but I want you to hear me out. By hot takes, I'm not not going to try to argue that I'm not going to try to argue that Jordan Love is going to be the best quarterback ever. I'm not going to argue that, uh, that, I don't know, that Tom Brady isn't the GOAT. These are not hot takes. These are creative. These are things I was thinking about earlier today, and I just I want you to see it my way. I want you to think about this with me for a sec. Number one, this is a hot take that I think everybody's getting on board with, so maybe it's not a hot take. This is just, this is just common sense. Number one, the 8-9 seed play-in game for the NBA needs to absolutely be a thing every single year. I think it's obvious. I talked to Dave Carney, the WKTY Morning Show this morning, as a part of our G-Spot, which you can hear every Monday and Wednesday. I told him they got to make this thing a game every year. They have to make it a thing every year where the 8th seed and the ninth seed have to duke it out to earn their spot in the postseason. Now, it's not just because it's fun. It's not just because the Blazers were crazy fun to watch and the Suns were crazy fun to watch. Like, I'm not a prisoner of the moment here, Right? They need to do this because it extends the relevancy of the NBA. Everybody knows who the eight seed is this year, right? It's Portland. Why? Because we've talked about nothing other than Portland and the Suns 
and the Grizzlies and the other teams that were fighting with Portland for that postseason spot. What about in the last few years? Did you tell me who the eighth seed was in the West last year? Or the year before? Or in the East? I tell you what. I watch more NBA than most people I know. Not going to say than everybody. I watch a lot of NBA. And I had to look it up today. I couldn't tell you. If we go back to last year, which was the 2019 playoffs, you know who the eighth seed in the West was? It was the Clippers. And I remember it now after reading about it because at the time they still had Shea Gilgis Alexander and they had all these great young players. This is before they traded for Paul George and brought in Kawhi Leonard. The Clippers were this pesky team that had a bright future. I completely forgot they were the eighth seed last year and they won two games against the Warriors. It was really impressive. They were the eighth seed last year. What about in the East? Now, the Bucs played this team. So if we don't remember who the Bucs played as the eighth seed last year, that's that really goes to show. It was the Pistons. Which I probably only remember because the Bucs played them last year. Clippers, Pistons, only remembered one. What about the year before? Who was the eighth seed in the Western Conference in 2018? And who was the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference? I dare you to bet money on your ability to recall who those teams were. Because I couldn't. I think I would have gone 0 for 2 if you had asked me the eighth seeds from these two years. In the West, it was the T-Wolves. <laughs> the T-Wolves making the playoffs. I'd, I wouldn't have bet my life. If I had to bet my life on who the eighth seed was, I would have guessed every, literally every other professional and college team being in the playoffs before I guessed the Timberwolves. They were the eighth seed two years ago. And two years ago in the East, the eighth seed was the Wizards. Nobody, nobody remembers these teams. We're going to remember the, the Trailblazers, at least for the next couple of years, because we were excited watching them earn their spot in the postseason. I watch the NBA every night. I couldn't tell you who the eighth seed were the last couple of years. But I'll tell you this year, in all sports leagues, not just in the NBA, the NFL or Major League Baseball, when seeds are locked in, meaning when teams have definitively locked in their playoff spot, meaning the Packers are the two seed, lock it in. They have a first round bye. Or the Bucks are the number one seed, lock it in. And that was, you know, the, the realization after they beat the Wizards. When that happens, teams kind of shut down. They start to taper. They're like, all right, we'll rest a little bit. We'll sit our starters. We know that if you play fantasy football, you know this, right? Week, week 17, you never want to have games that week because everybody's resting. Everybody's sitting out. I learned that. I was the commissioner of a league a couple of years ago. And I had the championship game in week 17. Now, I won because Todd Gurley was shut down. And, like, nobody... Nobody argued against the validity of the, the championship, but we're like, why are, we, why are we still playing in week 17? Because everybody starts to shut down. It's boring. Well, what if two or three teams ramped up during that time period? Meaning when the Lakers and the Bucks and the Clippers are tapering and resting, the Blazers and the Suns and the Kings, they start going off. Then we can watch those teams. While the Lakers and the Bucks chill out and we're waiting for the postseason, we can nerd out getting into the Phoenix Suns. How fun would that be? And that's something that has staying power even past this year. The playing game has to be a thing moving forward because it extends the relevancy through 1 through 8, down to 1 through 9, or 1 through 9 to 10, and we actually start to identify and enjoy watching these teams. I never enjoy watching the Suns, but the last couple weeks I certainly did because there was urgency. They were playing with urgency in a time where not a whole lot of other teams were. Because even, even the 4, the 5, the 6 seeds, home court advantage isn't a thing. Why are we fighting for extra seeds? Right, we're in a bubble. That, the seeding, the play-in game, that has power to stay for the next couple of years. Absolutely. That's hot take number one. Hot take number one, that one's a little bit easier to swallow. This one, you might have to bear with me. Hot take number two. These NBA playoffs will show us that March Madness uh, really isn't that great. I said it. I said it. 
March Madness is not going to feel as fun after we're done doing this. Now, I might be in the minority. I don't know for sure. But I think the NBA is much better than college basketball. They're professional basketball players who are consistent shooters. Right? We're not shooting 24% from three. Teams are typically shooting you know, lower 30s to upper 30s, maybe low 40s on a good night. These are actual good players. These are professionals who can handle the ball and not turn it over, who can make free throws, and who can hit open three-point shots. And yeah, you can say all you want about defense in the in the NBA. Go watch the Raptors right now and tell me that, that NBA teams don't play defense. Go watch the Raptors. They're playing the Nets right now. The game's wrapping up. Go watch. Come back and tell me that NBA teams don't play defense. I think the NBA is much better than college basketball. You may not agree, but give me a chance. Hear me out. Why do we love March Madness? Let's think about this. Let's do do some, some thinking. Why do we love March Madness? Outside of the Badgers, I don't love March Madness for any particular school or team or coach or player. I like March Madness because there is a huge quantity of games. I love March Madness because I can turn the TV on at 1 p.m., And there's multiple games being played. And I can flip around and look for a close one, look for a buzzer beater. I love March Madness because there's always basketball on. Now, normally the NBA playoffs don't have that quantity. Games are at night and they're scattered throughout the week. But right now, you go look at the lineup today. Today, we already had Jazz Nuggets. We're wrapping up with Raptors Nets. At 5.30, the Sixers and the Celtics play. And then the Mavericks and the Clippers play tonight. And you know what? Tomorrow, we wake up when we do it all again. Bucks Magic, Heat Pacers, Thunder Rockets, Blazers Lakers. Oh, and then again on Wednesday, we do it all again. Over and over. I'm looking at the schedule right now. For the next two weeks, we have games all day, every day. So now all of a sudden, March Madness is not the only sporting event where games are on all day. And we're watching this and we're like, well, you know what? This has a March Madness feel to it. There's so many games on, but these guys can actually shoot over 30%. All of a sudden, March Madness doesn't seem so amazing. I'll, I'll take this. I'll take the NBA playoffs. Now, once again, you might just like college basketball better because you like the game in a traditional sense, right? You like full court pressing, and, 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 and you like, I don't know, no-name players who, I see, I can't even fake it. I, I don't get, if you like college basketball, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. They're, they're not as good as NBA players, but maybe you're turned off by the traveling or maybe you're turned off by six fouls instead of five. Or maybe you're turned off. It doesn't matter. We don't have to agree on college basketball or the NBA. But what I think you'll notice in the next couple of weeks, if you give the NBA playoffs a shot, March Madness isn't the only sport that can do quantity. The NBA might just have the right mix of quantity and quality. And I don't think March Madness always has quality. There's bad teams. There's bad games. And there's instances where players just can't hit shots. Just brick, 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 brick. And yeah, there's a lot of games on, so it's awesome. But are, are the games always that good? In the case of the NBA, these are the playoffs. These are really good teams, really good players, the best in the world. And now we have quantity as well as quantity. Oh, <laughs> this is the NBA's year. This afternoon, I was in the studio trying to work, trying to show prep and and you know work on things, and I was frozen. I couldn't I couldn't do any of it. I'm going to be working until nine o'clock tonight to make up for everything because I was fixated on Nuggets, Jazz. Not my conference, not my teams. But I was loving, loving watching Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Williams and, of course, Donovan Mitchell who had 57 points. I was loving it. Why? Because it was on, which is normally the argument I have to watch March Madness. But now I can apply that argument to the NBA where the basketball is played at a much higher quality. But now the quantity matches that 
of college basketball. I think we might come out of this. Just bear with me. Even if you're a college basketball stan and you don't watch the NBA. At the end of this postseason, you might think, all right, March Madness, maybe it's not the greatest thing in the world. Maybe it's just a lot of games on TV. <laughs> maybe that's all it is. It's like, there are a lot of games. And that's why we like it. And the brackets and the parties. Don't get me wrong. You can make an NBA playoff bracket too. It's not as crazy because there's only 16 teams. There's not as many upsets, but it's really good basketball. Really high-level basketball. If you go watch the Raptors right now, you'll see they're flying everywhere on defense. They're a nightmare. It's not just college basketball with a bunch of white kids. They're not the only ones who play defense. Trust me. When we come back, I want to look at some of these series, and I want to point out the interesting matchups. We're not going to do predictions. We're not going that far today, but a couple things that intrigue me and a couple of series and games that you should really key on and not miss because they're going to be a whole lot of fun. The NBA playoffs as a whole going to be a lot of fun. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show. Talk about the NBA playoffs coming up next. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Once again, I'm taking it. I'm, I'm taking forever to come back from commercial break today because I keep getting sucked in. I should just turn. I got Hulu Live going on one of the computers in here, so I'm watching all these games. I should turn it off because I'm going to forget what I'm talking about. I'm going to get sucked in. Sixers and Celtics playing right now. Some people are going to feel real stupid for being so high on the Celtics because I actually think the Sixers, who are without Ben Simmons and who are kind of a mess. I actually think the Sixers are going to hang with them and take them six or seven games. I actually think the Sixers might beat them just because I'm not that high on Boston, and I and I really hope, really hope that turns out to be the case because I just I can't stand the Celtics. Uh, it's a personal thing. I'll admit it. It's fine. I thought before we'd wrap up the show today in honor of the NBA playoffs getting started, we'd kind of look at some of these series and just think out loud. That's the theme of this hour. We're just kind of spitballing out loud uh, and looking at some of these matchups. We're looking at the bracket. I, I want to try to figure out which one of these series interests me the most. Because I'm, I'm trying to pick up sets. I'm trying to decide which one of these games I'm most interested in watching. I don't think I can watch every single one. I don't, I'm don't. i going to try, but I don't think I can. So today, we've had Nuggets and Jazz, Nets, Raptors, Sixers, Celtics, and then tonight we have Mavericks, Clippers. I think the Nuggets end up beating the Jazz probably in five, maybe six games. Donovan Mitchell had 57 points today, and the Jazz still, although it took them into overtime, comfortably won at the end of overtime. It was not an escape win. It wasn't a buzzer beater or some last-second free throws they needed. They won by 10, and that was not... I mean, the Jazz didn't even foul until like 40 seconds left, right? They let too much time go away. They weren't even playing the foul game at the end. The Nuggets straight up won by double digits. I don't know what the spread was, but I'm sure that was close to the... I'm sure... I'm sure the Jazz covered. There's no way the line was more than 10. I think the Nuggets probably win in five or six games. They're a really good team. They're a really good team, especially Michael Porter Jr. doesn't even know how to defend yet. They're only going to get better. So I think the Nuggets are going to win. That That's not a series that interests me greatly. The Raptors and the Nets are playing, and I would have been interested in any series that the Nets played in except against the Raptors. Here's why. The Nets are a, a, a sneaky, perky good team because they... Because they try really hard, and they're just a little bit better than most people think. And Karis LeVert is is legit. I love Karis LeVert. He came from that golden era of of Big Ten basketball players. Uh, Kind of that Aaron Kraft, Karis LeVert. um, Who else is on that Michigan team? Glenn Robinson. Or not Glenn Robinson, but um, uh, who's the third? You had Tim Hardaway, and and then maybe it was Glenn Robinson the third? Something Robinson the third. It was the golden era of Big Ten basketball, and obviously I can't remember anybody. Victor Oladipo as well. You know, Ben Brust, Frank and Sam were, that, that was kind of early on in their tenure. Karis LeVert came out of that era. I don't think the Nets will win a single game over the Raptors because the Nets need to play against a team that will take them lightly. 
Like, the Raptors are the most try-hard team in the league. And I said they play really good defense. The Raptors are the biggest try-hard team in the league. The Nets aren't going to sneak anything past the Raptors. I bet the Nets could steal a game against the Celtics or the Sixers. Weirdly enough, I think the Nets might have been able to sneak a game against the Bucks too. But the Raptors are the one team that just, they just try so hard. Just always, for no reason, just trying so hard. Nothing's going to sneak past the Raptors, and I think the Nets are going to be promptly swept. They lost by 24 points today. 76ers Celtics. I actually think the 76ers, I think the 76ers win a couple of games. Nobody's giving them credit. A lot of people are picking the Celtics to, to make the conference finals or the finals, which I think is, a, is just a crock. I think that's a bunch of crap. I don't think the Celtics are that good. Who do the Celtics have that's going to match up with Joel Embiid, by the way? Daniel Tice. You're going to put Daniel Tice on Joel Embiid? See how that ends. I like their four, I like their wings, right? Tatum and Brown and Kemba's a beast, but they don't have Aaron Baines anymore. Who, who is there? And rim protector is a really cliche term, but who is going to protect the basket? Embiid's going to have game after game after game, of course, unless he gets injured. That would be the one caveat. Joel Embiid has 11 out of the 17 points for the Sixers already. Eating. He's going to eat the whole series. Tonight we have Mavericks Clippers. A lot, of, a lot of people are picking this to be a sneaky, interesting series. I actually think the Clippers have the defenders to shut down, by and large, Luka Doncic. That's kind of how they built their team. They built their team with a lot of good wing perimeter defenders. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, mostly. But then, of course, which Morris do they have? Do they have, they have Marcus Morris, right? Not Markeith. The Lakers have Markeith. And then they also have Reggie Jackson. They have a lot of guys who can defend around the perimeter. The real question is Porzingis. If Porzingis can stay healthy and play well, I don't know who the Clippers counter with because Montrezl Harrell isn't your typical defensive center. Neither is Zubac. They're more offensive players. And so is Porzingis. So maybe it all balances out. I don't I don't think the Mavericks win more than a game or two, mostly because I think the Clippers are, are finally healthy and they're finally together. And I'm guessing they're going to want to prove themselves a little bit and show everybody exactly how good they've been all year. They just haven't been healthy, haven't been together. So I think the Clippers look to make a statement a little bit. I think maybe the Mavericks win a game or two at most. Those are today's matchups. Tomorrow's matchups are the Magic and the Bucks. I think the Magic's win in four or five, or the Bucks win in four or five. Excuse me. I just Jonathan Isaac makes it a little bit more interesting because I think he actually matches up interestingly enough with Giannis. He has the size and length. Magic don't really have anyone other than Aaron Gordon, and Aaron Gordon can't do it alone. It takes a team effort, as we've talked about. The Heat and the Pacers is a fascinating series. I think after game one, we're going to have a lot better feeling of exactly how that series might go. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until tomorrow to talk about that one. Thunder Rockets. I, man, don't be surprised if the Thunder win. Chris Paul's been balling. He deserves to get MVP votes. And then Trailblazers, Lakers. Lakers sweep or win in five. That's how I would imagine that goes. We're going to talk about all these matchups tomorrow. And we'll have a Bucks playoff game to talk about. They play at noon tomorrow. That game will be on WKTY. Check the full schedule at WKTYsports.com. Enjoy the evening free of Bucks or Brewers. You know, watch sports casually or go outside. We'll hit it hard tomorrow because the Brewers and Bucks will be back and so will the Wisco Sports Show 4 o'clock. Talk to you then.